A traumatic life experience taught Brooke Snow the power of breath. Now she seeks to help others find the healing she found as God literally gave her a mantra. She believes that God wants us to hear Him. He wants to speak to us. It is simply up to us to make time and create space to listen. Brooke Snow is a writer, speaker, podcaster, a prolific online educator, and a certified optimized coach, helping people create a strong identity supported by holistic daily habits. Brooke has a gift of seeing the big picture and extracting life lessons from each experience. She is a wife, a mother of two, a survivor, and has triumphed over PTSD and anxiety. She believes all people can change and that we hold the power to create the life we want. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and I am so honored to have Brooke Snow here with me today. Brooke, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, I have to tell listeners that I have been on this journey. I feel like with Brooke, but as we've already been over, she and I, Sometimes you feel like you've been on a journey with somebody that you've just been watching or listening to. She has no idea that we've been on this journey together, but I've been doing this 40-day Christian meditation challenge, and I have loved it. So thank you so much for your work that you put into that. Thank you. Happy to hear that you've enjoyed it. (laughs) I want to start with a story that you're probably very tired of telling, but hopefully you never get tired of it. I am not tired of it. it's such a good story. Brooke, can you tell us a little bit about your life when you discovered meditation and got into it? Really, I would say this, my experience with meditation actually starts before I started meditating and I would pinpoint it to an exact day. Okay. And that was June 16th, 2014. And I had a baby on that day. And my first my first child, labor and delivery, was really traumatic. And I had reason to be concerned <laughs> for the second one. And that morning, I went in for a scheduled C-section. And it was so different. Like, it wasn't traumatic at all. Like, everything was super calm. And I even remember calling my mom in the morning after I had my daughter. And I remember saying on the phone, like, this is so much better. Like it's going to, everything is better about this time. And little did I know what was in store later. That was in the morning, around 10 o'clock in the morning, around 10 o'clock that night, I, with some assistance from a nurse, got up to be able to go to the bathroom. Before I even got into the bathroom, I blacked out and I don't remember anything that happened after that. I awoke a little bit later and apparently I had gone into a seizure I had three nurses surrounding me at that time asking, what is your name? What is your birthday? Do you know why you're here? And I just, I couldn't even answer. I blacked out again. And then moments later, as far as I know, I came to and I had an oxygen mask over my mouth and my nose and I could not breathe. And this- So terrifying. It was terrifying. Like the feeling of not being able to breathe is definitely panic mode in your life. And apparently what had happened is I had a pulmonary embolism, which is blood clots to the lungs. And it wasn't just one, it was nine. And 
this was an extremely life or death situation. I remember the doctor saying to me, I need your verbal consent to perform this procedure. You may not survive, but I need your consent to do this. And I just nodded my head. I couldn't even speak at that moment. And before I knew it, decisions had been made. They decided to transfer me to another hospital that was more equipped to be able to help me. And I was going to ride in a life flight helicopter to get there. Because of some fluke storm <laughs> that happened in June, I wasn't able to get on the helicopter. The helicopter couldn't make it to the hospital. And I had to ride in the ambulance through a canyon to be able to get to the helicopter. And this actually turned out to be an incredible tender mercy. My dad and my husband gave me a priesthood blessing as I'm getting into the ambulance. And they put the oxygen mask on me in the ambulance. And I just remember thinking the only job that I have right now is to breathe. And I just focused completely on inhale, exhale. And it was difficult. Like it, I had never been in a situation like that where breathing was so hard. And I knew that by the time we got to the helicopter, the EMT was in urgent response mode and she yells to the pilot of the helicopter, she needs 20 liters of oxygen. And if, if you can imagine 20 liters is the, the amount. It's pretty much equivalent to like a fire hose. It's a lot of oxygen being able to come in. And the pilot turns back to her and he's like, we don't have 20 liters. We only have 15. And I knew in that moment, that would not be enough. I was struggling even with 20 liters to be able to breathe. And they switched me over and immediately, like everything just becomes more difficult. And it was just like in the movies of the EMT that's like, stay with us, Brooke, stay with us, Brooke. And I just knew this isn't enough. I cannot breathe. I will not live. This is not enough to be able to supply life. And in that moment, a phrase manifested into my mind. And the phrase was, Christ is the breath of life. And I had been so focused on inhale and exhale. And I instinctively, I knew I was to repeat this phrase on every inhale and exhale. And that's what I began to do as the EMT is noticing all my vital signs are dropping and she's pleading with me to be able to stay with her. And all I could focus on was inhale. Christ is the breath of life. Exhale. Christ is the breath of life. Inhale. Christ is the breath of life. Exhale. Christ is the breath of life. I did that several times and it was amazing. Suddenly the EMT, she exclaims, I cannot believe what is happening. She's stabilizing. And I knew what was happening. I knew that I had just experienced my life being saved by the power of Jesus Christ. And within minutes, we arrived at the hospital and they everything got changed over. And within an hour, I was down to two liters of oxygen. I'd gone from that intense place to really being able to stabilize. And it's interesting because this experience changed my life. Like it was a major traumatic event. It was definitely a very spiritual experience for me to feel like my life was saved from the grasp of death. And I knew that it was by 
the power of prayer and by calling upon the power of Jesus Christ. And of course, I had wonderful help with the priesthood blessing and all of the medical attention that I was able to receive as well. The interesting thing is that despite my life being saved and all this wonderful spiritual experience that had happened, I started to experience symptoms of PTSD from the experience as well. Mm. And in the in the following year and a half, I began to have panic attacks. I began to have high anxiety. I began to have flashbacks. Anytime I would see a helicopter flying in the sky, it was just like instantly I was taken back to that moment of trauma. Yeah. And because of all of this panic and anxiety and PTSD flashbacks, I began to be concerned for my day-to-day life. And in having a conversation one day with my sister, she recommended that I might want to consider meditation as a way to cope with the anxiety that I was feeling. And so I signed up for a little meditation class and the results were amazing. Like instantly I began to feel more presence and calm and more control over the anxiety in my life. And I started looking at practicing yoga and just things that would help physiologically my body to be more calm and help me be more present. And it was interesting because it was at a yoga retreat that I went to that suddenly I realized a year and a half later what had actually happened in the helicopter had never occurred to me until I had begun my own journey of meditation and even learning about mantra, which is a repeated phrase on the breath. I realized that really I had been given a mantra in the helicopter. I knew I was to repeat it on the breath and it had saved my life. And it was just so neat to see those pieces be able to come together And to see that now I was in a position again where I needed my life to be saved. I was living with anxiety and PTSD and panic attacks, and I needed saving of a different kind. And even if people haven't been in that situation of being in the helicopter or not being able to breathe or anything like that, everyone has experienced figuratively not being able to breathe and feeling the pressures of life upon them. And the same tool can be used to cope and manage and be able to experience more power and presence in our life. Yeah. Had you ever experienced like anxiety prior to that? Not not in that intensity at all. Okay. Nothing that I'd ever really noticed. And then what about now? Not at all anymore. Meditation is part of my daily practice. And it's if I have a moment of feeling intense like stress or anything like that, my my body and my mind instantly know that I need to breathe. I need to take a deep breath right yeah. now. And I know how to physiologically go from that fight or flight state into more of that rest and digest place. Yeah. I love that. I, I'll tell you one reason that I love it. I do a lot of yoga and I always think it's amazing when I'm doing it. I think It's so cool that Heavenly Father gives us the ability to work out every part of our body physically just by ourselves. Like we don't need weights. We don't need equipment. We can do these movements and they exercise our bodies. And I think the same thing is true. Meditation is kind of the way that God gives us. And obviously there are times where people need medical help, Mm -hmm. um, but that 
meditation is a tool in which to heal our minds. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So I feel like some people listening, and we did we did a two-part meditation series last year on this podcast, and it did wildly well. Um, I think it's something that people are craving and they want to learn more about. But for some people, the idea of Christian meditation feels like an oxymoron. Um, what would you say to those people? There's actually many different styles of meditation, and I think it can be easy to make the assumption that one style represents all of them. And I know when I first started to like learn about meditation or even hear it, I would assume that that meant <laughs> that it was someone sitting on a cushion, emptying their mind and thinking of nothing. And that actually sounds really boring <laughs> and really hard. <laughs> yeah. And there is a spectrum of lots of different styles in which you could meditate. I would say that that's maybe on one end of the spectrum, maybe a really appropriate practice for if you're a Buddhist monk or something like right. that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have the modern day person who has a lot of other things that they're doing throughout the day, juggling different tasks and places that they need to be and being able to experience a type of meditation that's really supportive to that lifestyle is really helpful. And so meditation can be more than just emptying the mind. That is part of it. A lot of other styles of meditation, they may have a mantra that helps you to center your mind. And it's not necessarily thinking of nothing. It's just focusing in on a very specific word or phrase to be able to help you that way. I remember practicing Eastern styles of meditation and it was very helpful. And I think there also came a point where I felt like something's missing for me, especially with my upbringing in the church and my relationship with my Heavenly Father in prayer. I felt like there was a separation in the practice of meditation. And I wanted to see if there was a way that I could actually merge it together. How could I actually take my meditation and my prayer and marry them so that I was having a meditative prayer experience. And so that began a journey for me of how to actually put those two together and to create a Christ-centered meditation experience. Yeah. I think especially for Latter-day Saints, the idea of being still, I think we're people that go and we're always being told more and more things that we need to do yeah. as we go. Why why do you think that we perhaps struggle with that? Why is it so important? And do you think we're getting any better at it? I think we all intuitively know that we need to be still. We're told in the scriptures, you know, be still and know that I am God. And I, I think as Latter-day Saints, we have the framework that's already there. We already have the rituals in place for us to practice stillness. We have personal and family prayer, and we have the temple. And even every week in church, we have the sacrament with this long period of silence, right? And so I think the rituals are there. I think what we can improve upon is to be able to use those moments in a way that brings in more stillness. I remember one of the most impactful quotes that totally changed the way that I thought about prayer and meditation as a, a 
way that could be married together actually came from the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. hope I'm saying that right. But he said, at first a man prayed. He thought prayer was talking until he became more and more quiet and learned that prayer is listening. And I realized my experience with prayer my whole life had largely been lots of talking, me doing all the talking. And I know there were moments where maybe I would finish my prayer and I would wait maybe to feel a feeling. Do I feel peace? (laughs) Maybe I'd asked a question. Do I feel a yes? Do I feel a no? (laughs) And then you just get going. Right, right, right. And never really taking time to actually listen and and I also realized how much I didn't really listen for the Lord to speak more than a feeling or a word. And yet I have since learned He has so much to say if I will give Him the space and the time to be able to do that. And so that's been a really neat thing to be able to explore is how can I use this time of personal prayer or this time of the sacrament right now to listen to what he's saying. And when when Jesus comes to the Nephite people and he teaches them to pray, it says in the scriptures that they did not multiply many words. And I've thought about that a lot, in particular about can prayer actually be silence? Can prayer actually be not saying anything? Can prayer be just feeling something or listening for something? And it's exciting to experience what can happen when you give space for that. Yeah. So I have to tell you that has been as I've as I've been working on this meditation practice that has been the thing that has been most transformative is my prayers. And I'm sure that you hear that a lot. But I just this week I've had a couple of experiences. So first I should say the interesting thing to me is noticing the difference between when I meditate and then immediately pray right after. And when I just say my prayers, like I normally do. And just this week, twice, two nights in a row. So the first night I had a feeling during my prayers that I should text a friend. And it was just a little thing. She had told me about something that she is working on. And I had a feeling that I should text her and tell her how proud I was of her. Mm. And I texted her and she immediately responded and was like, I literally just prayed to make sure that I was doing the right thing. And then the very next night, I was praying for guidance for myself about dating and very clearly had like this very poignant moment of revelation. And so I just think it really is, it's amazing the difference that it is made. So bless you. Um, But what do you think is transformative about combining prayer with meditation? I think for me, I've, I've really just needed to expand my definition of what prayer is, similar to what we've already talked about. Yeah. You know, that I think we often in our culture think of prayer as the flip chart, you know, that we have this little structured format the and, different steps. Yes. That you learn in Father, primary. We ask thee, we thank thee, and then we close the prayer. And we need that. We need a place to start. We need a framework. And I think the other important thing to remember is that there's so much more beyond that, especially in our personal prayer time to be able to go beyond that. And But we don't really see it modeled in our church culture very much. 
And so I think personal prayer is a really great place to start experimenting with that and exploring. And I think it's transformative because anytime you do something different, you can have a different experience. And if if prayer is something that feels difficult or it feels stale, or I don't really know if anyone is listening, I would encourage people to try doing it differently. And maybe that is giving more space, ask a question, and don't just close the prayer, but just sit there for a minute. What comes to mind? Another, I call it a spirituality hack, but it's like my favorite thing to do in in teaching just a tiny little principle of meditative prayer is breath. I mean, breath has totally become something that has saved my life, changed my life. And I encourage people, just see what happens if you allow yourself to take three nourishing deep breaths before you pray or before you read the scriptures. And ultimately, if to do that in through the nose and out through the nose, it's going to be even more nourishing that way. And it's amazing how that just changes. It changes your body physiologically. Like I mentioned earlier, it takes you from maybe a fight or flight state of your nervous system into a more rest and digest, a calmer state in your nervous system. We've even implemented this into our family. We try to take at least one to three deep breaths before we pray. And it's so interesting what happens even with my kids. Like I'll notice my son, his voice changes. Like it, it he can go from just the going through the motions, prayer, to all of a sudden he's present. He's 10 years old, you know? Like I can hear his voice change and he I can hear that he's actually thinking about the words that he's praying about. And so it's that's a different way to do it, right? Like, can I just focus on my breath for a minute before I start to speak? And it just puts our, our physical body into a different nervous system state. And it also puts our mind into a different state. And when you're when you begin from that place, it's natural that you're going to be more open to receiving guidance, to hearing answers, and to being able to try some other things during yeah. prayer. Another thing that I love that I've heard you talk about is you had an experience with your mission president where he said, you don't need to pray for your family every day. And I think, (laughs) I'm sure that we are not alone because I've had that same thought. Do I need to, in order for my family to be taken care of, do I need to like list every one of them by name every night? And so I love, can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, it was a really unexpected experience that I had on my mission. He, We went into the mission office and our mission president saw me and my companion. He called us inside and he said, sisters, I just feel that I need to tell you this. And he said, the Lord knows that you're concerned about your families and you also don't need to pray for them every single day. <laughs> and he said, he kind of gave us a little guideline for prayer. And he said, in the morning, think through your whole day. Who are you going to be with? What places are you going to be? What specific help are you going to need? And pray for that. And then as you go through the day and you get to those places that you have prayed for or the people that you're interacting with that you have prayed for, listen and receive the guidance that you have asked for. And then he says, as you get to the end of the day and you say your prayer at the end of the day, offer gratitude. You can go back through that whole day and you can say, yes, thank you so much for this and this and this, all those things that I prayed for. 
And he said, the Lord knows that you're concerned about your families. And if you have a particular name come to mind in your family that you feel prompted to pray for, pray for to do that, but know that he is taking care of them. And it was unexpected, right? Like, But it's like also liberating. Yes, like that's it was. so freeing. It was like all of a sudden I had permission to allow my prayers to be different. It didn't have to be a prayer of fear. Because I think we can pray in fear a lot. Like if I don't pray for this, it won't happen. Oh yeah. I used to, when I was younger, I had like a whole list of things that it was like every night, like I've got to make sure that I pray for this. I've got to make sure that I pray for this. And I think then that eliminates some of the beauty of that communication, that two-way communication with God. Well, it puts us into that rehearsed prayer too. Like if I don't pray for this thing. He's not going to know. It's important to me. But just to have that permission of He knows. He knows what's important to you already. And to actually allow the prayer experience to be organic every day. Like to actually think through, who am I going to be with? What are the, con- the, the concerns that I need right now? What support do I need right now? What guidance do I need right now? And then to begin to see it. And to look for it and then to express gratitude for it as it happens. It just has made my experience with the Lord much more personal. Much it, It's helped my prayers to be much more faithful instead of fear-based, you know, that if I don't include the list, something terrible is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't make sense. Right. That's not the way that God operates. I just had a thought when you were talking that if— God does already know what we need and what's on our hearts and what we're concerned about. What is the purpose of prayer? It's for Him to also be able to communicate back to us and creating that space. So thank you for sharing that thought. I know also that I'm probably not alone in the fact that sometimes the meditation goes very well. Other times, my mind is all over the place. (laughs) What is your advice for how to be more present? And is it okay on those days where our minds are wandering? I would say, first of all, you're completely normal. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. This is a relief. My mom will be very happy to hear that. (laughs) All of us have, you know, we've experienced that even in just a traditional style of personal prayer is that sometimes it's great and sometimes it can feel, you know, I think even church on Sunday is that way. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And to know that that's expected, I think, is really good. Not every experience is going to be angels singing and delivering messages with scrolls rolled out or anything like that. But wouldn't it be nice if it was? (laughs) And I think, you know, it's it's supposed to be that way. You know, it's supposed to be an experience where we fall more in love with the practice of it rather than the little different golden nuggets that we may find along the way. And everyone's mind gets distracted. And meditation can actually be a time in which if if you're really struggling with thoughts and like staying focused and present and everything like that can actually look at it as being a good thing in the sense that this is the time and space that you're allowing yourself to actually empty it all out. Mm. And if you don't give that time in that moment, then it's just going to keep following you, you know, the rest of the day and you can have a harder time with that. But I like to look at the, the moments of really being distracted in my thoughts is like, I'm I'm giving, this is the cleansing of my brain right, right now. And it's just all coming out. And then if, as you keep a continuous practice, you'll notice that that improves. And then you'll have a day where it's different, you know, but 
I think it's useful to be able to have those personal check-ins, to be able to pay attention to what's on my mind right now. Sometimes we don't even know until we give a space for our mind to be still for a moment, and then we can see what actually has been trying to get our attention and some things that we may need to be giving attention to that we've just been ignoring. Yeah, that makes complete sense. It's like a download. Yeah, right. Another thing that I've struggled with, I like how I'm just telling you all my problems. <laughs> You're welcome, listener. Um, I I think that visualization has always been something that I feel like I'm actually fairly good at. But I've noticed with this, you talk about writing down a vision for your life or for what you visualize happening in your life. And I think that I've struggled because it's almost like hoping for some things has become painful. Mm. What is your advice on that? Let me back up just a little bit okay. just to talk about visualization. Yeah, right yeah, there. yeah, please. Because this is probably going to be something that's really new for people. Yeah. I know it was for me. Prayer was always just words. And then I remember one day I felt really tired before going to bed. I'm like, oh, I, I just, I know I need to pray, but like, coming up with words is really hard right now. Mm -hmm. And so I actually had the thought come into my mind, could I actually pray with pictures? Could I actually just imagine in my mind what it is that I hoped for? And there was a, a dear friend of ours who was really sick at the time. And I, I remember we had been praying for him every single day that Phil would be able to get better. And instead of praying it with words, I just imagined him. I imagined him in as much comfort as he could be in and be, all the people who were helping him, being able to help him. And I just imagined what it was that I hoped for Phil in this the challenge that he was dealing with in his health at that moment. And it was so powerful. I had never prayed with a picture. And maybe other people do this, but my mind had not ever really thought about the idea of praying with pictures. And so that's a really important piece that I bring into meditation, we talk about feeling and saying words, and we also talk about seeing. And when you bring in as many senses as you can into the experience, it's going to feel even more connecting to the Lord. It's going to feel more real because you're using more of your physical senses. Like anything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so with that background, that's... I'm glad you backed up because not everyone's parents made them go to a, a homeopathic doctor in high school. <laughs> Continue. So visualization is a new thing. I would encourage anyone in their prayers to start ex experimenting with what is it like to picture things in my mind. And yeah. could you actually say a prayer just with pictures? It's a real interesting and fun thing to play with. Yeah. But what you bring up, I think, is really important about hope and one of the best guides on how to visualize, I remember I was reading in this book and the man was talking about how visualization is a tool that a lot of Olympians use to increase their performance. Mm -hmm. And he said, so what do you think they're visualizing? And it's like, do you think they're visualizing standing on the podium? They've got the gold medal around their neck, they're holding flowers, the national anthem is playing, everyone is cheering their name. He's like, do you think that's what they visualize? Like, yeah, that's probably what they visualize, right? Like, that's the big, that's the big goal. That's what they want. It's the final outcome. And he said, no, 
That's not what they visualize. <laughs> they're visualizing doing everything right. Like everything. They're the visualizing their performance. So if it's a swimmer, for example, they're visualizing each stroke, what it feels like in their body. Like they're improving the performance. That is fascinating. And so for me, that was a really important distinction to make in visualization of how can I bring this into today, something that I can do right now, bringing it into the present. So one of the examples that I share with my own journey of visualization is I've been on a weight loss journey. I've lost 60 pounds. I could sit Congratulations. there. And, thank you. <laughs> I could you look sit great. There. Thank you very much. <laughs> I could visualize, you know, in that journey, the future body that I want to have and I'm healthy and I'm fit and I'm happy and I've lost all this weight. But that's actually not what I visualized. Similar to the Olympian standing on the podium. Instead, on a day-to-day basis, I visualized Brooke drinking water in the kitchen. (laughs) I visualized myself moving my body, going outside on my walk. I visualized myself making good choices in the food that I wanted to eat. Because that's how anything that we hope for is created is actually in the things that we choose to do today. So even if it, I mean, that's an example of something that we have personal agency over to be able to create. And of course, there are many things that people hope for that we don't necessarily have that agency over. Maybe it's being single. Maybe it's infertility. Maybe it's a job that you really want or things like that, that other people's choices play into that. How can I bring that into the present? Who do I want to be when those things happen? What do I need to do today? And even the process of like bringing in your heavenly team. I remember when I I wrote a book and I had a book proposal in and I couldn't make that choice. I couldn't be in that meeting where that decision was made, but I would visualize angels, my writing angels who helped me write my book. I'd visualize them in that room, like helping to be where I couldn't be and do things that I couldn't do, influence in ways that I couldn't influence. I think that's a great way to bring in help in that, like, in the ways that we're hoping to create things in our life in a way that honors our agency and what we have control over and also allows the Lord and His team to be able to help and influence in those things as well. I think that is so cool. I was just talking to a friend yesterday who's waiting for a decision on grad school, and he he was feeling really anxious about it. And I was saying, you know, that really is so hard when you feel like, you're at the mercy of people that have never met you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that idea of calling on heaven through that visualization. Thank you for that. Brooke, how has meditation shaped the way that you receive personal revelation overall? That's a loaded question. I'm sorry. Oh, it's dramatically changed my whole life. I think, I mean, we talked about bringing in the senses how do you feel? What are you seeing? Um, What are you hearing, right? Like giving time and space for the Lord. I think the reason it's been so transformative for me is because I feel like I've been able to really increase the depth of the relationship that I have with my Heavenly Father. And prayer is no longer just about my list, or it's not just about getting it done and going through the motions that it's a real relationship. 
I was teaching some meditation um, lessons to my son. We call them our prayer lessons and we were having them at night. And I, I said to him, now, if you're upstairs and I'm downstairs in the kitchen and you want to tell me something, what do you do? He's like, oh, I just yell at you and I tell you what I need. And I said, do you think you can hear what I say back? He's like, maybe if you yell at me. And I said, well, how much different could it be if like, I'm in the same room as you? And I'm right here and we can talk back and forth. He's like, well, that's going to be lots better. I can totally hear what you're saying. And it, the the point in telling the story was to help illustrate to him that sometimes that's how we pray to Heavenly Father. We just shout up to him. <laughs> Maybe we're not shouting, but you know, the idea, that same level of communication of just, just so you know, these are the things that are important <laughs> to me today. Hope you can take care of them. And instead that bringing into that very personal conversation of sharing what's on my mind and then giving space for him to talk back to me. And just that imagery right there, even the imagery of imagining the Lord in the room with me, that was something I had, I bring in with the idea of visualization. It's sort of like for so much of my life, I kind of imagined that the Lord was really far away. Mm -hmm. You know, it was kind of like I was either shouting from the kitchen or it's, you know, sending it off to this faraway place. Um, but as I began to work on visualizing him and imagining that he was right in the same space as me, those more natural conversations began to be able to happen. As I brought in those sensory tools of hearing and seeing and listening and speaking and feeling that it just a real depth of relationship started to develop that I hadn't experienced before. And that to me is where the transformation really has occurred. Yeah. I love this conversation because I've been thinking a lot about President Nelson's invitation um, to recognize the way that God communicates to you. And I think the church is like using the hashtag hear him, which I love what have you learned about the many ways that God communicates with his children? I think one thing that I'm so fascinated by is the way that God can communicate with different people in different ways. And so what have you learned about the many ways that he does that and about how badly he wants to communicate with us? For me, it's been neat to just start doing something differently. Like I mentioned, you know, mm -hmm. like if you want different results, then you, you've got to try to do that process in a different way. Yeah. And I, I've i learned that if I just give space, he totally has so much to be able to share. That talk that President Nelson gave on Revelation where he quotes Neil A. Maxwell as saying, for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, it is clear that the Father and the Son are giving away the secrets of the universe. And I love that. I mean, such an amazing promise right there, but there's some real key things to that promise too. Eyes to see. And like we just talked about visualization, right? Like it, that can be interpreted in many different ways. But for me, I had never put that element into a prayer practice ever. Yeah. And when we say eyes to see in that setting, we're talking about your spiritual eye. It's your imagination. Can you use your imagination in your prayer to see something, create a picture in your mind? 
eyes to see, ears to hear, am I actually listening? And am I receiving the secrets of the universe? And really the secrets of the universe that I need are like, how do I make this work in my family? (laughs) That is my universe is like my own personal life. And then of course, my mission and purpose is that takes it out to the next level right there. And I've learned that he has so much to say if we will just create an experience and and probably more importantly, a practice that's consistent mm-hmm. and a consistent practice in order to receive what he is giving. The other image that I love that comes to mind is from Elder Uchtdorf's talk a couple years back, Living the Gospel Joyful. And he gives the image of the Lord constantly raining blessings down upon his children. But sometimes we have an umbrella up and we block them. And I I love how that relates so beautifully to Elder Maxwell's quote as well. You know, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, it's clear the Father and the Son are giving away the secrets of the universe. He's raining all of that stuff down upon us all the time. And I would dare say, like, if we had the veil removed for just a moment to be able to see how many messages the Lord is sending us, is raining down upon us constantly, we would probably be astounded. And we would probably want to do all we could to be able to receive it. How can I take that umbrella down so I am receiving it even more? And the practice of finding a ritual or expanding the ritual you already have of prayer to give more space, perhaps, for silence, space for listening, space for receiving. We can take the rituals that are already there because the amazing thing about the gospel is that they're the framework is there. We can just do a lot to improve upon how well we receive the revelation in those moments. Yeah. And I think that that makes so much sense because we know that we're supposed to be co-creators and that gives us the opportunity to create with God. And He wants us to be a part of that Brooke, you are so eloquent and I love listen. I could listen to you talk forever. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. As we wrap up, my last question for you is what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? To me, being all in in the gospel of Jesus Christ means that I am fiercely committed to learning by experience. Learning by experience is what the Lord instructs Adam and Eve as they leave the Garden of Eden. It's to learn by experience. In Abraham, the Lord says, and we will prove them herewith to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. That word prove can be super misunderstood in our modern understanding of what it means to be proved. And yet the archaic definition, this was such an exciting day for me when I learned (laughs) the archaic. You can go online to Merriam-Webster Dictionary and it gives the archaic definition of the word proof which would be really useful for ancient scripture, right? Yeah. And it says the word prove means to learn by experience. To me, this is the whole point of why we're here, is to learn by experience. And learning by experience requires repentance. It requires a consistent way of seeing our experiences in a way for our growth to occur. And so for me, being all in into the gospel means I am committed to that learning process. No matter what I think or do or what choice I make, I'm committed to repenting and returning. That process of just spiraling up and learning line upon line and always doing all I can to return because I get off 
all of us get off. It's not a perfect process. It's not like a straight shot journey upwards. It's a spiral. And I I love that concept of I'm committed to learning by experience and returning to him every day, multiple times a day. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you. We are so grateful to Brooke Snow for joining us on this week's podcast. To learn more about Brooke, visit brooksnow.com. A huge thank you to Derek Campbell, as always, for his help with this episode. And thank you for listening. We'll be with you again next week.